Sweet as Honey, the podcast. Hey, honeybees, we're back with another episode of the Sweetest Haunted Podcast. Um, and you can tell that we're in a good mood because I sang today. <laughs> well, you can tell I'm in a good mood because I sang today. Allison is in a perpetually good mood. That is just her nature. Um, and today I'm super excited because we have a guest and our guest is Rue. Rue, say hello. Hey! And Rue actually came to us. Rue is an avid honeybee. Instagram has brought us together. Rue is our people and we are so excited. Um, so babe, like we start off the top of every show. What's been new for you this week? Um, I had a really busy work week, so not a whole lot other than that. Uh, I wasn't feeling great this week. Um, and it could just be, you know, normal stuff, allergies. I don't know. So COVID, I don't know. Like. <laughs> uh, let's, let's hope not. Like, right? let's hope not. Right. What's, uh, what's been new for you? You've had, you've done a lot more this week than I this, have. I have just felt like just, it's, it's weird. Just emotionally, it's been a weird week for me. Um, at the beginning of this week, I was just feeling just kind of gross and mm -hmm. just not so great. Um, if you follow us on Instagram, you've probably seen the stories where I was like, I feel like shit. Do you feel like shit? And everyone was like, yeah, I feel like shit too, girl. Yes. Like me too. So, um, to a handful of people, I just sent out like, you know, just love hugs, mm -hmm. just word hugs and things like that. And then it got a little bit better. And if you follow me on Instagram also, you will have seen that like I posted a video of me singing and playing guitar. So I just shared a moment of Hello. vulnerability. So cute. It felt so gross and creepy and I was so freaked out. Um, so yeah, and Rue is in Germany. So Ugh. how has your week been, Rue? It's been pretty good as well. Uh, so I'm in theater over here, and yeah. we've been trying to figure out how restructuring is going to look for our performing arts community mm -hmm. as COVID starts to lessen a little bit over here and, yeah. and figuring out kind of what the new phase of this endeavor is going to be like. So it's been definitely busy on my end, too. Oh, wow. Oh, man. What, what do you do in theater? Uh, everything. I'm primarily <laughs> a tech person as well as a creative. Yes! So I've been like breaking down our stage and I'm covered in bruises and <laughs> oh, man. out of one space. And yeah, it's been it's been an interesting experience, to say the least. Yes, yeah. tech nerds. I was a tech nerd for theater in high school, too. And it was so much Yay. fun. I miss it all the time. <laughs> That's awesome. I love being backstage. Stage yes. managing tech. It's all fun to me. What yeah. production are you guys working on? Or well, you? so we had some things that we were working on, but then, I mean, COVID happened the day of our dress rehearsal. Oh, <laughs> man. And that was our, our shutdown, and we were literally at dress rehearsal and had to tell our performers, like, hey, this isn't going to go off. Oh. And so now we're kind of exploring what a more digital platform could look like, of course, like with all um, creative arts programs, you know, funding is really a challenge right now because you have to spend money to make money and there's no way to really make money in, in COVID right now. Right. And so we're looking at more digital opportunities to expand our program. Wow. Well, as always, like let you give us details, we'll shout it out, especially with it being digital, that could be a and you know, an opportunity to widen your audience, you know, <laughs> like get more right on, eyes right on, on you yeah. all. So wow. are these productions since you're in Germany, are they all in German or are they in English? Yeah, so my husband is actually in the military. He's Army, and mm -hmm. so it's all through our, our base. Okay, cool. And so they're all American, yeah. Oh, That's awesome. I love that. I've never yeah. heard of people in the Army community getting together to put productions together, at, at least not in the States, and I've known lots of, you know, families in the Army. It was a very new concept for me as well. We were here for about six months before I discovered this, hmm. and they they don't have performing arts communities to the same degree in the states at all and i think that that's because there's so much more of a you know community theater exists in the mm -hmm. states and it's easy to find those outlets there but here i mean i i don't speak german right. i could not perform in german or you know run cues in german and so i think that they have those programs to assist especially in non-english speaking um areas oh that's hmm. really freaking cool. I 
that is cool. Y'all can come up with it. We would love to see it. We would love to share that. We, I don't know. That just makes me feel so excited. I know. I would love to 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 stream that and watch at home. I'm such a like I. We both have such a love for theater. Yes. uh, In general, that uh, I have really been missing being able to see shows or or anything. So, uh, and I have a lot of friends in the theater community from college and stuff, and I know that they've been hurting too. So it's cool that y'all are starting to be able to get back to that because you know you actually did the right thing and followed guidelines <clears throat> imagine <laughs> imagine yeah and Science you know works. we're Jesus. in alabama and you know like between like alabama and florida right now everybody is just ready to get like a pair of scissors and just cut us off of the rest of the country because we're screwing things up so badly it's here. understandable yeah i can i can understand yeah, I'm like well, I guess. Let me see if I can get my citizenship and move to Georgia, you know. <laughs> no, Georgia's worse than Alabama right now. I know. So, okay, uh, so we'll just cut out go. the South as a whole. Right, like, they the should have just let us secede back in the day. No, I'm just kidding. Anybody that plays in the SEC, I think, just at this oh. point, just go ahead and draw a little dotted line, cut it off, and they can have the beaches and the football and call it a day. <sighs> Sorry, babe. <laughs> well, that's fine. It is what it is. Football's canceled this year anyway. So. Yeah, so we can yeah. just switch over to soccer. Like, we Yay! can still all watch soccer with you. It's more entertaining there anyway. There you go. Um, yeah. So, talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter, tell the honeybees a little bit about your family structure. Okay, yeah. So, I am a white woman, and I'm married to a black man, mm-hmm. and... So that's, I mean, obviously impacted a lot of our, how we're navigating in the scope of Black Lives Matter and mm-hmm. the protests that are happening and the, the uprising that we're seeing. Yeah. And how has that been for you? I mean, is it been, has it been exciting? Has it been, are you, I don't know, how are you feeling being so far removed from what's happening in the States and what's the climate like where you guys are? Yeah, it, I, I I will have to answer the way I answered to your Instagram story the other day. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, ask again tomorrow because right. the answer changes every day. Right. And, and there are moments of gleeful optimism of this is the most change I've seen in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And, right. you know, older relatives and friends are like, yeah, this is the most change I've seen in my lifetime, too. And that that is exhilarating. Mm-hmm. It's exciting to see change happening. You know, we're, we're starting to end some qualified immunity and we're seeing Brianna's law being enacted in certain places and having those real changes be so visible is exhilarating. Mm-hmm. But then you see that there's still so much more to do and that, I mean, even in the middle of this happening, there are still lives being lost in really tragic ways at the hands of white supremacy at large. And and so then there are other times where I'm just so downtrodden that I'm like, I don't know how we'll ever return to the States. I'm like, can we just stay over here forever? Right. (laughs) (laughs) What's, uh, what's that experience like being stationed in or having your husband being stationed in Germany? You know, it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, kind of feeling like you have a foot in both worlds because I obviously live here where we're in this tiny little village and it feels so safe. And I remember when, um, Ahmaud Arbery was killed. Mm-hmm. I-, I like to run and I'm not very good at it, but I, I enjoy being outside and, and my husband being in the military, he likes to, you know, exercise frequently. And I remember thinking what a privilege it is that we're here in this tiny little village that feels so safe when even running outside in your own neighborhood is such a luxury in the States. And, you know, it's, it's odd to me to be in this kind of juxtaposition where all of the media that I'm seeing, pretty much everyone I know is back stateside. And so I'm taking in all of this American stuff, mm-hmm. which feels like so much of my identity, but so much of it doesn't apply to my current situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that's so surreal 
and strange, you know, it's kind of like being in it and being separated from it at the same time and then having to navigate that in between space of how to be supportive and how to empathize with your friends and family in the States and also still thinking about, you know, how to move forward with you and your husband and how you called them your someday babies, you know, and what that might look for them look like for them later. And talking about the Ahmaud Arbery um, thing, this is a gentleman that was killed in um, a little town in coastal Georgia and it's really funny because when I saw this story and I was like oh Satilla hang on just a second I know exactly where that is because I went to elementary school at Satilla Marsh Elementary School so thinking about this gentleman I have a brother my brother is five years younger than I am so I'm thinking about the fact that my brother is this you know big black guy and had for whatever reason our circumstances dictate that we stay in this area would that have been something that happened to my brother? Could right. that have been something that, you know, would this have been like our story? Yeah. So it, it hit even closer. To right. Home for you because, because like you li- I that was, literally used to be home. Right. I was like, yeah, we used to live like very, very close to the school. I went to the school and this like my school is in the subdivision that this child, you know, was killed in. Mm. And, you know, this young man, he was a young guy. And it just it (laughs) it's so heartbreaking and it's so scary but you know being a person of color I'm thinking about all of these people I'm thinking you know Brianna could have been my cousin she could have been my sister she could have been my friend she could have been my colleague we could have been co-workers um this could have been somebody that was in my community so when I think about these black people it's a very personal thing to me because I'm just like this could have been someone to me it could have been me you know Mm -hmm. And would it have been different had it been like white people? What would the uproar have been like that had it been a a Sarah instead of a Brianna or, you know, Rebecca instead of a Brianna and things like that? How would our sociopolitical response to that have, you know, been different? What would have happened with these three officers that are responsible in her death? what would have been the ramifications of that at that point so these are always the things that are on my mind in these things and it's incredibly overwhelming in a very different way because even though it's not my own personal situation it's still a situation that feels personal to me mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so, and how has your husband been like how's his how's his heart doing has he disclosed <laughs> any of that to you since um this kind of movement has kind of come to the foreground? So my husband is very much removed from social media. He doesn't have any social media connections, yeah. which God, I'm jealous of that sometimes. Right. <laughs> um, but no, he, he was very tapped out of a mm-hmm. lot of it. And I was like, Oh yeah, things are really popping off right now. And he was just like, well, you know, what do you mean? And I, I kind of showed him, I was like, dude, like, this is, this is getting very real. And, and so I kind of brought it to his attention, just how, because obviously he would see the headlines, but not the very, like, underground Twitter on the streets kind of thing. Right. And, you know, so I've, I've worked to try and curate what he sees mm-hmm. in terms of social media and, you know, show him the things that. I wish I had seen instead of the things that I wish I hadn't seen right. over and over and over and over right. again yeah. to try and preserve his heart. Because realistically, there's not a lot of straight up action that we are capable of over here. I mean, right. he is not, there were big movements and protests in some of the bigger cities, Berlin, Munich, they all saw actual like protests just the same as in so many cities in America. And he is not allowed to participate in any organized protest here whether it's for clean energy black lives matter queer rights none of it i mean it's just it's not something yeah. that american soldiers are allowed to yeah. engage in over here really? i would have been allowed to <laughs> but things were still so shut down with covid that i was like let me not get him in trouble mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah Man, and I so i I'm sorry, I hadn't even thought about the ramifications of that for soldiers and uh, especially being stationed internationally. Like, that's yeah. that's not even a thought that had crossed my mind. So that's interesting that you bring that up. Um, had he been stateside, would it have been a different story? Because, like, I have no military background at all. Mm-hmm. 
uh, really don't understand anything about it or the inner workings or how, how anything happens. So uh, enlighten me a little bit on that as far as whether it's here or there or anything like that. Like what are some of the things that they can or cannot do? Yeah, so I mean there is obviously conduct is very important in the military. Mm-hmm. And so had we been stateside, obviously you can't protest in uniform. And that's part of why I believe it was a, a Marine, a former Marine who stood in protest in his dress uniform um, that I saw on Facebook about a month ago that was such a big thing is because like to actually show up in your, in your uniform as a decorated veteran was a huge statement. Hmm. So if he chose to protest stateside, if we were back home, then, I mean, he could in his t-shirt and track pants kind of thing, but they can't be like, yeah, I'm here because I'm a soldier and, you know, soldiers for Black Lives Matter isn't mm. really something that the military would be thrilled to see. Gotcha. But it's kind of one of those on your own time, it's your own business. Mm. I gotcha. Uh, man, I hadn't I hadn't even given that any thought. That's that's really eye opening for me. Right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. He was very active. So my husband's from New York. He's from Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he was very much a. He, he calls himself like you know a, a street philosopher. He was very much <laughs> um, engaged in protests and trying to organize in his youth. He just turned thirty, and uh, it, so he's he's kind of in this old man philosophy. He says now, <laughs> or you know, he's so excited to see the young people today that are really leading this. You know, we've mm-hmm. got this Gen Z that's starting this TikTok you know, rebellion and filling up or, or, you know, buying out all the tickets for the Trump rally and leaving yeah. the seats. Up. I mean, there's these young kids are doing some things that, you know, especially my husband's five years older than me, that especially when he was young and in that very angry 19, 20 year old, you know, that he, he's frustrated because he wanted to be this effective and this evocative and change mm-hmm. and it feels like to him what he has said to me is that his community wasn't prepared for it yet yeah oh my gosh I can empathize with that so much I can empathize with that so much and it's so things are so different even from mm-hmm. because you know um I'm, I'm a little closer to your husband's age I mean, he's a year older than me I'm 29 and okay. you know thinking about when i was like 1920 you know and growing up around like especially black people i didn't really grow up in a an area where there was like a lot of money you know i did i mm-hmm. went to public school so not having access to like a lot of resources in general i didn't have a computer until i went to college um so even having like internet in the home wasn't something that we consistently had or things like that so even just this access to information is so different um just this enlightened period and there are a lot of times like Allison and I even want to do like a complete episode about just the ways that we feel just overwhelmed and the ways that we want to learn because there's so much information and I think that especially like we need our allies and this is why allyship is so important because we do need these young voices and even if they are kids like we have to think about the fact that these kids are trying to preserve their future we're thinking about the fact that they're thinking you know they're thinking 10 12 20 years Mm -hmm. ahead of time where they're wanting to kind of make this political shift to where it's something that's reflective of who they are and their values which kind of overlap with what our values are but in this age of technology definitely gen z dominates like there's no and they question everything everything (laughs) um so they're really into exploration and you know this is gonna be like a really really enlightened period because you cannot pull the wool over their eyes they have this grasp on things that happens and information comes so quickly so they have this ability to be able to look at information process it look at it so quickly even though it's a lot of it being thrown at them which i think you know the millennials have a little bit more of a difficult time because we're still used to you know pen and paper textile things so we're still having to unlearn a lot of the things that have been taught to us through, you know, school, through just institutionalized and systematic um, 
just education in general and they're in this just period to where like the world is literally at their fingertips if there's something that they want to know all they have to do is do a google search they understand how to find politics and how to have these political stand um these political platforms on social Mm -hmm. media and that's still something that even i like i'm kind of tapped into that now where yes i can go and look at the news but i can also go on social media and use that as a tool and it is people that are like 20 21 22 years old that i'm going to to get this information because they process it differently and, and they, they understand it, it differently so much exactly. easier versus like you get into like the older generation like each generation that we go uh, get older and older uh the more they just believe everything that they see on the internet mm-hmm. because that's what they were we were taught to believe in school like whatever's written in these books is correct whatever you know right. your parents tell you is the absolute truth yep and now you've got this generation that's had this information that since the minute they've been born, they've yep. had access to this. And so the way that they process it, exactly like you're saying, babe, is just so different from anything that we're used to. Right. And like, even <laughs> as, as millennials, we're having to adjust to that uh, right. ourselves. And it's admirable. You know, they're... It, it, it's really cool. I don't know. But I can definitely relate to the way that your husband feels like we didn't have the tools to be able to do this despite having the heart and the belief and the desire to do that. We just weren't equipped. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I do think, though, that it's valid to remember what millennials did do because a lot of these Gen Z kids are the children of, of elder millennials. You right. know, these the people who are now, you know, 35, 40 that mm-hmm. were on the, the front end of the, you know, the earliest millennials, I believe that they started to kind of move away from the older generations, our parents' generation absolutely have cultivated uh, an environment for their own children to be able to question things, to be able to be so active, oh, yeah. to be able to be so fearless, because I think I've started to see within my generation moving forward a lot more willingness to call stuff out oh absolutely and you know for me it's like I have family members who I have like come to digital fisticuffs with in the last month or two that I'm like I understand that you're a white man who's much older than I am who lives in a very different world than I do but you are literally attacking my family right Right. now right like if you don't appreciate that what is devil's advocate to you is literally threatening my family's life then I have no room and no love for you at my table I'm sorry goodbye and (laughs) I've had a lot of conversations with these people and and actually I've been very impressed I've had some family members come around and be like you know I apologize I didn't realize what this must be like for you yeah which blew my mind yes yeah but you know I think that it's the, what started in this millennial generation and onward is this understanding that, oh, that's just how grandpa is, isn't good enough. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And that it's time to start questioning everything, like you said earlier, to, that, you know, these younger kids question everything, question everyone, question their parents, how they were raised, the communities that they were raised in. And mm-hmm. that's what's been so exciting to me is because I think if we truly want to dismantle these systems it's going to come from asking those questions directly mm-hmm. and calling out the bullshit when we see it. So 100%. I mean, that's, that's beautiful. I mean, we were at a family event a while back before all the COVID started and I had an elder in my family who made a remark um, who didn't mean anything by it, but it was inherently racist and said it to Tiffany. And so Tiffany felt uncomfortable, left. It was like the SpongeBob meme. All right, I'm going to head out. That's exactly what happened. Uh, and, and I had to, you know, all of the rest of my cousins and family members were like, well, you know, that's just her generation. You know, she doesn't know any better and she's not going to change now. And I was like, no, that's not OK. Mm-hmm. So she and I had a one on one conversation to the side because, you know, I'm still of that, like, trying to figure out the balance between respect and calling out racism. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, pulled her to the side so I wouldn't embarrass her in front of everyone. But to be like, look, this is not okay. Here's what was wrong. Mm -hmm. Here's how can we make this better next time uh, type of deal. And, you know, whether it made an impact or not, it... (laughs) 
made me feel better. So And yeah. I 100% agree with your approach in that. I felt like my responsibility was not to educate her. No. My responsibility was, this is gross, I'm going to go. So you're mm-hmm. like, not punishment, but a consequence of your action is going to be the removal of my presence. Because mm-hmm. she likes me. Like, we like she each does. other. We have a yeah. good conversation. So if you don't want me to go away, this is what you need to evaluate. And then for you to go in and reiterate, this is why this happened. Because of what went on, this is what's appropriate this is what's not she got it like twofold she was able to kind of see what would happen as a result of that and then reflect on why what happened did right and I think that that's a really really important distinction as well because it's not up to black people to have to educate everybody and to be like okay well I didn't like that you said something that made me feel so that that's a perfect example of how I personally really really appreciate allyship and for both of you Rue you talking about how you're talking to your family and being the person to Mm -hmm. explain that um I don't want to speak for your husband, but I'm sure that, you know, on his end, you know, like as the black person in that situation, he appreciated having the the ability to be removed from that situation, but still to have somebody advocating on his behalf. And that's what's so important about these conversations and why the call for allies is is as such, you know? Yeah, well, and that's been so so much of what I've been really moved by seeing mm-hmm. in this last wave of action is allyship. And I think allies are trying to get more educated and do better. And that's why I love seeing, you know, the library had to order more copies of How to Be Anti-Racist. Yes. That's, that's so exciting to me because to truly get this done, it's going to take all type of folk mm-hmm. from all backgrounds banding together because that's that's how historically every movement gets that much traction is when it's you know everyone's got a different hand in it and for me as a white person trying to take some of the load off of black people has been really important to me and feels like something I can do even from over here mm-hmm. uh, because emphasizing taking the responsibility because I believe we all have a personal responsibility to self-educate, to do better because this is not the time in my opinion, to be asking black people, well, what do you think I should just get out there and do it, figure it out. Like I'm seeing so many, especially black people that are very close to me, just being so fatigued, taking a shower and going grocery shopping that it's like, bro, I can't, tell you what to do right now you're gonna have to figure this one out for yourself Mm -hmm. and seeing allies come together and have these conversations and disseminate information that they've heard firsthand has been really exciting to me and that's been part of what I have tried to do even feeling so removed over here like I started a Facebook group for allies uh as a way to try and share information and Hmm. and take some of that emotional burden and some of that legwork and put it back on white people and and other minorities so that black people can just try and focus on getting through or being safe yes. yeah yes. yeah it's yes. because you're absolutely right rue it is our responsibility as white people to take the lead on this now because we're the <laughs> we're the whole reason that the climate is what it is now you know yeah. our you know our ancestors our family members the whole nine yards like mm-hmm. it's not black people's responsibility to to shoulder this burden anymore and we as white people need to step the fuck up Mm -hmm. and just do the right thing Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well and i'm 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 so tired of this idea that i keep seeing of well my folks have always been poor and we didn't own slaves so how is it my problem i didn't have privilege like you benefit from the systems that were put in place regardless of how dirt broke your family has always been or not people who owned other freaking human beings created systems that our white skin gets to ride off of. yep 100 percent. i'm right there with you and i've had other people say that to me before too and just to be able to you know point that out or start a conversation about it so that they start seeing some of their privilege but without including you know black people to set that example um, I've seen, cause I've seen so many things about, you know, like privilege talks or, um, there was, you know, the, where they, I think it was the students that they stood in line and they had people of all races in these lines and they were oh, yeah. like, step forward if, 
that's we need to stop doing that stop doing that black people already know these these privileges that they don't have there's no need to continue right. just, to just share the one video we don't yeah. have to keep doing it um yeah but yeah I don't know. So that's I'm right there with you. And I think that's so cool that you even started that Facebook group to have these conversations and to start those and just not letting people get away with their covert or overt racism, I think, is yeah. is really freaking awesome. Yeah. So. Well, I definitely appreciate that. Yeah, I just it, it honestly came from just a sense of of hopelessness of feeling so isolated out here on my island, <laughs> you know, wanting to be involved on the home front watching I have friends at home who've been tear gassed and arrested and, you know, scared they were going to be shot with rubber bullets and helped provide first aid to people who were and and feeling almost this survivor's guilt of living in my little German village. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) I I have to do something because I felt so isolated from something that is so dear to my heart and so relevant to my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, we, even being stateside with the COVID pandemic going on, we haven't felt safe enough to go out to these protests, mm-hmm. which invokes that same feeling of guilt that you're feeling. Right. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm feeling that same thing because, you know, we are um, not only trying to protect ourselves, but, you know, my parents are in their 70s and trying to make sure that we don't pass anything on um, or by accident, one of us or, being in jail and yeah, you right. know the same thing that happened um we really like like trash reality television 100%. it is one of our favorite things we just love to like relax and just watch like the Turn real housewives of whomever and <laughs> you know Portia Williams from Real Housewives of Atlanta was recently arrested um for doing a similar protest yeah but the type of charges that she was there they were actually felony it charges. was a class d felony charge wow. exactly for trying to influence uh the decision of a uh, uh Oh, man. A court official? Yeah, or or an official of the court or something of that nature. And it was 87 people that were arrested at this protest in Kentucky. So that's even something that I'm fearful of. If I'm going out trying to peacefully protest and do something like that, what's going to happen? Are they going to manipulate the charges? Is this going to be something that I'm going to end up being in jail for a long time? So it's just not a space that I feel comfortable being in. And with Allison having to be the breadwinner, I don't want her to be in a situation that that's going to impact her job and neither of us can really you know like we have a team dynamic to where you know if you're taking care of work or you're having a particularly busy really intensive Mm -hmm. time where you're on a lot of calls or Mm -hmm. that you need to be present for people your parents still need groceries we Mm -hmm. can't have your mom go somewhere else and do those things it's more cost effective for us to just run up to where your parents are and do the grocery shopping once a week than it would be for them to do you know shift or another Uh, grocery delivery service yeah so there's lots of things that we think to do which is why you know like we wanted to do this particular series on the podcast because we wanted to give a a, you know a voice and Mm -hmm. you know create this space for information and have conversations and to amplify voices of other black people and of allies and to have these discussions so that people can have that that's our advocacy we're donating to bailout funds because that's our advocacy we're reading and doing more education um you know educating ourselves on what's happening because we still have so much learning to do but on the (laughs) other hand we also have so much unlearning to do Mm -hmm. as well seriously yeah (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and you guys are are by far not the only people that I've had that same conversation with. There are Mm -hmm. so many people who don't feel safe given the pandemic or given the threat of jail time or physical, you know, bodily harm that Mm -hmm. people, and and I think that this is also really calling to how do we affect change now having more awareness of people's real lives because A, we have law enforcement that is breaking the Geneva Convention Mm -hmm. by using out-of-date tear gas and chemical agents and shooting rubber bullets directly at people as opposed to ricochet. And, you know, we have these horrible things happening. We have these arrests. Now there's this secret police happening in in Oregon predominantly in Portland and and, and some, some other places. But also people who are in wheelchairs, how would they safely navigate over grassy terrain Mm. when stuff got bad Mm -hmm. or people on arm crutches or people with intellectual disabilities or you know there's so many people who want to get involved that it's not physically 
appropriate for them to be in that space knowing the threat that exists. Yeah, and then here in Alabama, first and foremost, we're a fire at will state, which means that any employer can fire any person that works for them for and not have to give a reason. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of these people that I've been friends with that are going, that is a fear for them. And then the one of the big cities here um, has actually been putting out warrants for people's arrest who weren't even in the state of Alabama when the protest happened. Wow. So, like, it's just absolutely ridiculous uh, the amount of, (laughs) you know, misconduct that's happening, uh, crimes against freaking humanity that are happening. Like, it's just, this is a human... they don't care. Like, I see, like, videos of, like, police officers assaulting people in uniform, badge number, clear as day. Like, I watched a video the other day that I'm sure is from 2019, but it was a black gentleman in the car being pulled over. There's three police officers. One guy was being really, really aggressive. He reaches into this gentleman's car, uses his hand to roll down his window while the guy's like, I am not resisting arrest i'm doing it he was like i'm gonna drag your ass out in the street and i'm gonna beat you in front of god and everybody and like he like proceeds to like drag him out of the car and then like he's just like i'm resisting arrest like i can't you know i don't know what happened i need to do some research and see what happened to that gentleman but right. like they like it he's like oh great yeah just record it it's fine so if that i, I, I don't audacity. agree well i don't agree that you even need to have video evidence of what happens it's the same thing like the same way that i believe survivors of any other type of abuse um whether that be like childhood trauma coming forward because of something that's happened to them they've been violated in any way I'm still going to believe people that come forward talking about um, instances where they've had run-ins with the police. I'm just, I'm going to believe that. I don't have to see a snuff film to believe that they're out here doing this to people. They've been doing it forever. That's literally the way that police were funded. You know, like they were... That's, they were started because of that. That's the purpose With of the that mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To to police uh, black people, mm-hmm. people of color, yep. to in order to keep y'all down. It was just the next, the step down from slavery. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, and, and that's also something that Darnell, my husband, and I have been talking about is that, okay, so even if these people, these black people have committed a crime, have just done something horrific, okay, we still have a criminal justice system in this country. Exactly. And the the point of law enforcement is to enforce the law, not to enact the law. Right. And these people still are not guilty. They have not had their day in court. They have not been sentenced by a prosecutor. So <laughs> this is just vigilante justice that these mm-hmm. law enforcement personnel are, are enacting is their mm-hmm. own vendetta. No, one hundred percent. Even even if because I well they were no angel blah 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 they had this record and George Floyd did this okay doesn't matter so that's not doesn't matter even if they were guilty doesn't mean that they yes. deserve to die period yes that is not the law enforcement's place mm-hmm. if they wanted to make those decisions they should have gone into prosecution which they obviously should not have because that is for sure not what what philosophy we need but it's just this your job as a law enforcement person is to protect and serve not to carry out whatever your will is Mm -hmm. right like we need to get rid of minimum standards or minimum sentences uh we need to get rid of um all like so many different things uh you know police immunity uh i had another one but i completely lost it because my brain's not working right that's okay but but they definitely need to be defunded and we need to be looking at where all of this money is going into law enforcement and think about other ways that that money can be allocated for resources that we actually need right because like you said there are people that you know aren't going to be able to get around there's going to be people that are not safe um (laughs) number one um i studied american sign language in college still cannot for the life of me understand how there's not some type of department alongside law enforcement for people with specifically those types of disabilities dealing with people that might be deaf or hard of hearing and things mm-hmm. like that how would you know they're not going to know how to respond to you when they need their hands to communicate are you going to take that as take that as a threat and shoot a deaf person because he's using his hands yeah. to communicate with you so that's just a really really good example of something that's number one um, an accessibility issue as well as mm-hmm. something that you know it would make sense for funds to be distributed yeah. in this way to help citizens. 
Yeah, well, and, and having the opportunity for more well-rounded education, Tiffany, like you're talking about with American Sign Language for people who are deaf or hard of hearing, mm-hmm. but also, I mean, there are so many other types of disabilities which impact how people negotiate the world around them. Absolutely. But also interactions with law enforcement. I mean, my, my instant memory goes back to the gentleman, the caretaker of the young man with autism mm-hmm. and, you know, him laying on the ground weeping, please, please, please don't hurt us. Right. You know, that because the law enforcement didn't have the appropriate training to understand how to, to navigate interacting with someone with autism or there was a video and I, I don't believe that this woman was black but all police brutality is wrong Absolutely. and that's what I keep trying to remind people that are like well white people get shot too okay that's not good either right um but I believe that she was I don't think she's black I'm not sure what her race or background was mm-hmm. but that she was like I can't get out of the car and the officer was like you gotta get out of the car and I think it was her daughter was next to her and was like, my mom's disabled, my mom's disabled. And they yanked this woman out oh of the car, God. not knowing that she was a paraplegic. <gasps> Jesus. Oh, I've oh seen a God. video similarly to that recently that was a black man with uh, who was disabled who kept telling him the same thing. And he, they yanked him out of the vehicle as well. It was. Yeah. It's just nuts. Like, why is this... Why do they think that it's okay? Why do they have these superiority complexes to think yes. that just because they wear this uniform that they're above everyone uh, and everything, including the law? Right. It mm-hmm. just doesn't make sense. Well, and that's something that's so disheartening that Darnell and I have had so many conversations about is, you know, because being in the military, that is in some ways a type of law enforcement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... It's so frustrating to us because of the rules of engagement where, I mean, you will be court-martialed, made an example of, never seen ever again by the light of day if Mm -hmm. you are in enemy terrain and do not follow rules of engagement. And that is someone who has been declared a threat against our whole country. And (laughs) if you make a wrong move, very bad things can happen to you. And yet here we see police officers killing our own citizens Mm -hmm. and facing no repercussions that it's like how is it that you know we can go into enemy territory where it's you know shoot to kill mentality and still have to be held to a higher standard than people who are supposed to protect their own population right (laughs) it's just absolutely disheartening yes it's it's just absurd like i i just truly do not get it or understand where this mentality comes from uh, or how it can still be a thing in 2020. Right? <laughs> like, uh. And I wonder, like, and I, I, let me, let's just, let's just think hypothetically. I just want to, I don't know, just, just tell me what you guys would, what you would think about this. Like, what would a society without the police look like? How, what would that look like? Like, if we just restructured everything that we understand and know about law enforcement and kind of gave it a different spin, gave it something else without the police, but with all of these other things, what would our society look like? Or at this point, like, cause it feels like we've just got to just do like a clean sweep. Like we just get rid of everything that we know. Everybody's fired. Everything needs to be rewritten as far as rules, regulations, um, rules of engagement, like you said, like everything is just completely rewritten. The complete structure of the police force as we understand it to be Mm -hmm. one that actually serves the people and protects the people. What would that look like? (laughs) I think for me, the biggest thing is responding to calls when you're invited. Mm hmm. The fire department is not out patrolling looking for fires. Right. Well, that's a good one. I love that. respond when they are needed. And yeah. sometimes you forget about a pot on the stove. And we all have fire extinguishers in our home mm-hmm. and hopefully have received training. Not every single time that, oops, I left a pot on the stove. Does it have to have several you know fire trucks show up mm-hmm. because we have training within our own communities to handle our own problems that mm-hmm. i think that eliminating the police just 
out there and and especially unmarked vehicles sitting and waiting to pull you over i think is is such a thing that has always really sat very wrong with me is that you know if if police you know we're trained in school oh police are the helpers if you need help you go find a policeman and you know whatever and then the idea for me that they have camouflaged i remember back when i was stateside that um one of our local police departments had white cars with almost a translucent silver writing on the side. Mm -hmm. So technically, if the light caught it right, you could see that it was an identified police car. But other than that, there were no markings on it. And I'm like, so suppose that I need help. Suppose that something has gone very badly. And this police officer is sitting in his car, but I can't identify that it's a helper. Right. <laughs> what What is that person's point? Why right. are they there other than to come after citizens? Mm-hmm. And profile. If I can identify <laughs> right. they're going to help me, uh-huh. then what is their function? Yeah, it's just to, so that they can covertly profile people. And yes. that's going to justify their racism and justify those mm-hmm. biases that they have. That's it. There's no other reason for it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when you get pulled over and you're not doing anything wrong or anything like that, they go and they pull your license. They go back and look. They're looking for a reason to mm-hmm. you know yeah it, it's happened um that's happened to actually my brother and a friend of his when he was younger and the gentleman yeah. that he was with was a young mexican you know he's a mexican teenager and so mm-hmm. it's like a mexican a mexican guy and like two other black guys or something like that so it was just yeah yeah you know just wrong place at the wrong time it was a little bit too late for that cop's pleasure um so right. i absolutely agree with that notion that you know just they should operate similarly to the way that firefighters do and first responders yeah. do and respond instead of going out and looking for yes trouble. well and i also think that you know to continue to answer your question so much of the issues we see in our communities come down to mental health and i worked mm-hmm. in um the disabilities field for a really long time, especially with young people who had intellectual disabilities. Mm -hmm. And so often when those folks slip through the cracks, they are the people who have the most interactions with law enforcement because oftentimes they are homeless and oftentimes their disabilities make them behave in ways that are peculiar to people who don't know them or they may be, what appears to be belligerent and Mm -hmm. you know maybe they're just trying to hang out somewhere safe but the property owner doesn't want them there and so I really think that focusing on having good community intervention and actually funding Medicaid and mental health and those programs I think would help change the game so much absolutely and education you know like these are you know we I I took home ec as an elective Mm -hmm. I remember I took dance as an elective I took um foreign languages as Mm -hmm. electives um I could take art as an elective why are there not more required things instead of it being like you get like a semester of health and a semester of driver's ed why aren't we talking about like these are um trends that we're seeing in like mental health and the way that these things present why are we not having trends in you know if you're feeling like this this is what depression can look like and how it can manifest Mm -hmm. this is how you know like what a a neurotypical brain can look like this is why are we like an intro to mental health uh an intro to sociology Mm -hmm. even yes um just so that we can all understand how to better communicate with people across the board whether they have intellectual intellectual disabilities physical disabilities mental disabilities whatever it may be mm-hmm. so that we as a society know how to better engage sure Absolutely. i just say like let's fucking get rid of history because we've all agreed that that's trash they just need to like just yeah. fucking scrap that and just try again and then just like give this hour that these kids have so we think about the fact that like a school day is eight hours long and then there's such a high concentration of that so over the course of a week you know you've spent five hours in english class you spent five hours yeah. in this class and that class that's five hours of education that could go to something that they could actually mm-hmm. use beyond the classroom that's something that yeah. they could go to walmart and see that's something they can see 
when they're at practice and things like that. So why are we not talking about consent and not just like sexual health and reproduction, but what consent looks like and like really defining what assault looks like and what to do and what resources are for when things don't go right. We're not giving like we're not equipping these people with the education that so many dollars do go to with things that they can actually use beyond the classroom. So all of it just comes down to the curriculum is not where it needs to be. And these are not skills that we can use outside of class. Cause I can't tell you the last time I used geometry for shit. I can't tell you the last time that like I needed to fill out a Scantron for anything, but there are other skills. We could be allocating this time for something that could actually be productive. A Scantron. That one got me. <laughs> right. It's a throwback, right? I mean, on the topic of education, I was just talking to one of my really good friends. She's mm-hmm. a Latina woman. And we were talking about, you know, how history is taught. Because I think that part of the reason that things have been allowed to get to this boiling point mm-hmm. is because of the ignorance that is taught yep. in our schools by the curriculum. That, you know, especially in predominantly white-based curriculums Mm -hmm. you see well the pilgrims showed up and the indigenous people were really mean and they were savage and they hurt each other and then we taught them how to be good and civilized and that's why we celebrate thanksgiving yep and then we brought over (laughs) slaves and that wasn't great we're sorry slavery was bad but it's okay because abraham lincoln ended it Mm -hmm. and then martin luther king had a dream and rosa Parks sat on a bus and now racism's over and america is a big wonderful melting pot and the president does not hate black and brown people The, the worst part is tiffany and i were literally just talking about this the other day so in the state of alabama in the fourth grade you're taught Alabama history and one of the things I remember being taught was that slaves weren't treated that badly (sighs) right and like we took a field trip to the the um capital of the confederacy which is here in Alabama and went through like the different buildings and learned all about the different historical figures within the confederacy why are we learning about treason and these people that did abhorrent things to humanity. I just don't understand why that's being taught. Yeah, but yeah, and the Civil Rights Museum is based here in Birmingham. I have never been, period. It was not included in my education, and that's something Tiffany and I were talking about. I was like, I want to go, and she was like, all right, cool, let's do it. Once, you know, COVID settles down. Uh, Which might be a while here, who knows? So Yeah, I mean, the, the way that the Civil War is taught, is so backwards and i mean even just i think it was this last in the last week or two that confederate flags are not permitted on military installations anymore on your cars clothing whatever and i'm like guys and if you if you really look at how many of our bases are named after confederate generals how many streets on those bases are named after confederate fort rucker here in alabama Mm -hmm. and i'm like y'all we are America, go fight, win, we're the best. And you're paying this much valor to traitors who lost. Like, even from a military perspective, I'm like, how does that check out to y'all? Yeah, why are we still glorifying this? Why are there still Confederate statues up, period? Why did it take yes. Why did it take this long for us to say it's not okay and for people to start recognizing that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and it's interesting, Allison, that you bring up the the monuments and the statues because, I mean, living in Germany, I have a very firsthand perspective at how they have reclaimed their history. And there is no denial of the really dark parts of history here. Mm-hmm. And you see that they have done the work to fund their education programs to make sure that that can never happen again. And there are no monuments. There are no statues to those leaders. And, you know, people I've, I've had arguments with people where they're like, yeah, but they left the concentration camps up and those are, you know, you can go tour them. And I'm like, right. Because that's for a lot of people, all the, the grave that they will ever have for their ancestors. Mm. They, don't know where their relatives ended up that's the last place they knew that they went Mm -hmm. and you know it it also exists too as a as a stain 
it's not a monument with a plaque of a horse rearing back and, you know, Custer's curls billowing. Jesus. It's, it's not this sexy, romanticized, you know, Andrew Jackson. It's, hey, here's this literal prison mm-hmm. that exists. How about we never allow this to happen again? Right. Can you speak a little bit more to the ideology that uh, Germans have towards, like, their Nazi heritage? Like, people whose families served, um, mm-hmm. you know, during World War II for the German side? Like, what is, what? what's that like? Yeah, I, I'm going to just right up front admit that I don't know a lot of that. I haven't had a lot of conversations with people whose uh, relatives had that experience. Um, One of my friends who is over here, who's German born, her family actually was a part of the rebellion. Mm. And so I know a lot more of that side of things. I gotcha. It's, I'm sorry. Oh, I just said, I gotcha. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And so I'm not sure, but, but the kind of the vibe is just, shame and frustration right of how did it get like this right and that's how we should be like right it yes. scares the shit out of me that everyone's like american pride and i say it with this accent because those are the assholes that are running around being like american pride like <laughs> yeah and it's nothing to be proud of no like it's literally not. the foundation uh, like it is traumatic and it's sad and mm-hmm. it's it's full like uh, I just feel so overwhelmed when I think about that because yeah. I do think about black people and how disconnected we feel from this place right. and I think about indigenous people and how connected they did once feel for this place and then it mm-hmm. came over and it was turned into something completely different so I don't under no I don't know I don't understand what American pride is I don't understand yeah. what happens in this country that we should be so proud of and it doesn't yeah. mean that I don't have respect for people that go out and serve in the military that are fighting for what they believe to be fundamentalist rights or that they're fighting to evoke change or anything like that and that's another way that people get it twisted because they're just like oh well I'm a veteran and I went and fought for this country so that you'd be able to come on this platform and talk about this I'm not saying that it's perfect I'm not saying that it's a perfect science or anything like that. I'm saying I don't have pride for a place to where, like, look at our literal current political situation right now. Yes. It's nothing to be proud of. It's not a history that I'm proud of. It's not a mentality that I I feel proud of. We're not unified the way that people have always wanted us to feel like we've been unified. So, no, I don't Mm -hmm. understand what the concept is of American pride. Yes, I feel like there's so much to be learned from the people that are there that do feel shame and do wonder how it got to this place and I bet they're gonna have a leg up when it goes to restoration I bet they're gonna have a leg up when it goes to enacting change and to making sure that that things look different and that they improve as time goes on especially for the generations that come there but I feel like that's also a very shared experience where here um, people that are in positions of power have so much to gain by separating and dividing us and that is still where we have to get over it from so no, when yeah. people talk about black lives and things like that, there's no reason for you to be like, well, all lives matter. Nobody's refuting that. When we're talking right. about this is an issue that affects black people, no, that doesn't mean that we don't need our allies. We absolutely do. No, being pro-black does not mean anti-white. I am a proud right. black person. I'm still discovering what that means for me, what that means for me in my heart, what that means for me as an individual. And yes, I married a white woman. And no, I do not have issues with colorism. No, that's not internalized racism. That just has, happens to be the person that I fell in love with because everything is still so broken and there's so many different sects and different communities that still have this division so it should just be all black people together and not like light-skinned people with light-skinned black people and you know dark-skinned black people with dark-skinned black people and black people that date black people and marry black people and black people that we're black people that should just we're one people we're all human beings we're all one race and then we have to have our allies that are beside us because it's all of us against this issue of oppression and systematic racism it's not all of us against one another and that is the important distinction that it frustrates me that people have such a difficult time grasping yeah yeah and i think uh rue with your husband being originally from manhattan uh and he could probably agree with this like there's still so much separation Mm -hmm. um and even chosen segregation especially in those boroughs you can really see it Mm -hmm. because uh like people stick with their people Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not—it's not intermingled as much as you would expect it to be in 2020. Right. 
Well, and that's, I mean, that's everywhere. And that's the effects of redlining, of planned continued segregation, of mm-hmm. gentrification. I mean, we're still seeing those impacts now. And, you know, that's always kind of my retort to when people want to bring up black on black crime mm-hmm. because that's Ugh. the favorite retort of well if black right. lives matter so much why yep. don't they matter to each other and it's like when you create these communities of gentrification of redlining crime happens within like five miles of your own home yep. people do not adventure out to do these things and when you cloister people that's what happens and and you're absolutely right allison that we're we're still seeing this segregation by force of how those communities are broken down of gentrification of you know systemic choices that are made to district out the good parts of town mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and i can directly speak to that because i grew up in one of those suburban cities um, where, you know, the only way they brought in black people were to bust them into our school system initially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our mascot was the rebel. We, yeah. we flew the Confederate flag at football games or any sporting event, period, up until my, I think my sophomore or junior year, it finally got banned because, mm-hmm. you know, a black person in the school was like, hey, this isn't cool. And then created, like, this whole poll to be like, do you think the Confederate flag should be removed from our events? And the amount of responses that were posted to that, like, were just full of absolute ignorance, which is what Mm -hmm. we were taught. Mm -hmm. And, like, even now, I didn't even realize the significance of that until recently. Mm -hmm. And to see it, like, I have, you know, I still have T-shirts and, you know, hoodies and stuff from high school that still have the rebel on it. I've got a, a freaking uh, blanket. blanket that has the rebel on it. And like now I'm like, oh my God, I just need to throw it all away. It's so <laughs> terrible. And yeah. do like just a deep cleanse. But I didn't really understand what was so bad about the Confederate flag in high school. I didn't mm-hmm. get it. I didn't get it. You weren't taught to. That's the thing. It's yeah. just like, it, it's, a, it's a source of pride. This is what it means. We're proud of our heritage and where we come from. And that's and exactly what's ingrained mm-hmm. is heritage. Yeah. It's your yeah. heritage. Yeah. These are your people. Your ancestors fought on the for, for the South and yeah. died for the South. And the you should be proud of it. The same way your ancestors own these freaking plantations and oh, cotton fields. Right. And you don't think that it's problematic that you want to go take your engagement pictures there. Oh, it's a problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did y'all see the meme that was like the Confederacy, the Confederate Party lasted five years. The Golden Girls literally was on air longer than the Confederate Party existed. So technically the Golden Girls are more a part of our heritage. No, no, but I love it because I love the Golden Girls. So I'm just like, there's so many like five years, y'all. This is not some great monolith of time of of my heritage. Y'all, it was five Right. No, five years and they're just exactly, and they're just they're just pissed off. They're pissed off about it, and still are. Like I just do not get it. And the way, you know, the history was taught after that, it just oh, mm-hmm. it's so terrible. It's the whole thing is yeah. just absolutely is draining, and I don't understand. And it's still being taught that way. Mm-hmm. Still, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the education system <sighs> is is so flawed and I think so much of I mean we've talked a lot about education tonight but I think a huge part of it is that education is taught because A they have decided that kids can't handle the truth and B they teach it in a way that assuages white guilt Yep. That, mm-hmm. I, I mean I can't tell you how many times even in college I heard slaves were brought over to America no family members were sold into slavery, stolen from their land. Stolen, Doctors, storytellers, community members, and architectural designers. Like, every facet of life that we have, that any community had back then, were kidnapped and stolen. They were Mm -hmm. not slaves. Oh, yeah, slaves, whatever. (laughs) They were hostages. And this idea, (laughs) this idea that, oh, slaves were brought over. I'm like, no, that's not, it's not a, a, a good, which is 
how slavery is looked at is like, oh, trade of goods and services. Right. And until we humanize that in our education system, I mean, we're still going to have like y'all were talking about with the, oh, it wasn't that bad. And some of the, some huh. of the slave owners were really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, not like, my, my, not my great, great, great granddaddy. Now he was nice to his slaves. Like they were friends. He let him in the house sometimes. Like he would let mm-hmm. him curl up on the rug by the fireplace. If like, they were sick, nice. he would give them sick days. <laughs> like it's totally all right. No, I just don't no, they even got Sundays off. <laughs> So they could Christianity, which we taught them. I was about to say to to worship a god in which was ours, but was forced on them. So, yeah, it's just it's Uh, it's not it's not great, and I (laughs) I don't I feel like you know we're making progress in that area, but it's not enough. It's not enough. Yeah, there's so much fun like thing there's so many different things that need to change across the entire board education uh our criminal justice system uh yeah. the 13th amendment needs to be just taken the fuck out and re- redone it needs to be amended itself there's and, so many things about the literal uh, united states constitution like we just need to like scratch oh, yeah. that and just start over yeah can we can because we have a do-over technically by the constitution standards i'm still not a person rights yeah. were not made for me oh nor us um, as oh, white yeah, women as, as women right yeah so, yeah. but you especially well, yeah, like I mean, you got especially all especially me like for sure like them kind of for you fuck 100%. no <laughs> yeah then you add in you add in the queer part to that and then that's a, a third part man mm-hmm, right. it, you you just yeah. you hit all of the minority check boxes you I were like yes up. yes yes Pride that's month me. was hard for me y'all it was it was hard it was I a hard time can only imagine yeah <laughs> oh man uh all right Ru, we have talked your ear off for a little over an hour now I know it it's getting delightful. late where you are right now but before you I go, hope to chat with y'all again. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. So before, and the next time we have a conversation, if you want to have a conversation about like the intersectional parts about queerness and blackness and allyship and all of that, we would love to have you on again. Before you oh, go, dude, I would love to. I'll I'll talk about all of it because I'm just screaming this into the void. And if yes. you know, the void wants to listen on a Zoom call, oh, perfect. Then let's go. <laughs> perfect. Let's do it. So before you go. Um, we know that you have a podcast. If you would like to yeah. share your podcast, what is the name of your podcast for our honeybees? It's called Supposedly. And mm-hmm. we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, pretty much anywhere that you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, uh, etc. at SupposedlyPod. Okay. And we will make sure to link that in the description box as well. And Rue, your personal Instagram, do you want to link that or do you not want to link that? Uh, sure yeah you can follow me if you want to I'm not super active on there right now just because I'm so overwhelmed and frustrated with everything that I feel like I don't have that much productive to say but I'm <laughs> at Rue Takes EU okay. on Instagram and we'll be sure to link that as well and one thing that I love about Rue's Instagram besides how freaking beautiful she and her husband are is if you click the link in her bio it takes you to lots of educational resources resources for activism resources for allyship um so that was why I was like I'll do that so I'll be sure to link all of those things from Rue's bios as well as where you can find Rue's Instagram profile and um uh her podcast and of course you guys know that you can follow us at sweetesthoney.love on Instagram we're sweetesthoneypod on Twitter um and you can email us anytime at info at sweetesthoney.love please do not forget to rate us five stars leave a review and share it with a friend we love you guys thank you Rue so much we appreciated you this was lovely I cannot wait to like share this episode I think it's so important you were so articulate and clear and concise in your message and and what you're passionate about and I love that so much I think this is definitely going to be a good one to share just with the masses in general it was a wonderful discussion and we love you guys absolutely we love you guys and we'll talk to you soon bye